0: A reading from Lamentations, chapter 1. Jerusalem sinned grievously, so she has become a mockery. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Her downfall was appalling with none to comfort her. O Lord, look at my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Enemies have stretched out their hands over all her precious things. She has even seen the nations invade her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregations. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see how worthless I have become. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire. It went deep into my bones. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They weigh on my neck, sapping my strength the lord handed me over to those whom i cannot withstand the lord has rejected all my warriors in the midst of me he proclaimed a time against me to crush my young men the lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter judah for these things i weep my eyes flow with tears for a comforter is far from me one to revive my courage my children are desolate for the enemy has prevailed Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should become his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and behold my suffering. My young women and young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while seeking food to revive their strength. See, O Lord, how distressed I am. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard how I was groaning with no one to comfort me. All my enemies heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced and let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God, our father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are getting into a series of uh, the five forgotten books of the Bible. And last week we got to hear uh, from Ecclesiastes. Today, Lamentations, we'll get into Song of Songs and Ruth and Esther. Really uh, interesting stuff that you don't get to hear in a lot of congregations. Pastors are not preaching a lot of sermons on these texts. Uh, But we're interested and excited to dive into this and maybe hear uh, a new voice for us today, especially uh, with everything that we've been going through here in our world, and it's been quite a week. In the last seven days, we remembered the Emanuel Nine, celebrated Juneteenth, and watched as protests against racial injustice continued in many states, as well as here in our city. Here at home, Las Vegas Mayor Pro Tem Michelle Fiore stepped down from that position after reports surfaced about racially insensitive comments at a fundraiser we cannot deny that we have a problem with racism in this country. Many might like to deny it and say, well, we don't see color or are not responsible for the sins of the generations who came before us. We'd like to think that we would never knowingly discriminate against someone because of their race or act in a prejudiced way. And we don't even want to admit that those of us who identify as white have not had to overcome the same barriers to success as our siblings who are black and indigenous and people of color. Yet the events of this year have had a way of laying bare all our frailties, exposing the suffering that still remains for so many Americans. And when we're frustrated and angered by the effects of systemic racism, by economic inequality that has steadily increased over the last 40 years, by the increasing costs of health care, effects of mass incarceration, over, over-policing of black communities. Our pain flows out into the streets of the cities we live in. People are hurting. People are mad. People are mad at the people who are mad and people are mad about being mad, it gets overwhelming. We even sometimes get mad at God. But anger is a gift. Our tears are a blessing from God. The one who creates us, redeems us, and fills us with a spirit of life and breath can handle our accusations, our indictments, and our insults. And in fact, willingly takes them and our pain and suffering and loves us anyway. But what do we do with that righteous anger at injustice? Where do we pour out our frustration at the greed and illness and violence we see in the world? How do we continue living faithfully when we fail to see God responding to our pain? Lament. Lament is this act of taking our grievances to God, pouring out our tears and naming that hurt humanity has experienced due to persecution, famine, war, and more. And we cry out to the heavens, speaking our deeply personal heartbreaks, grief, and loneliness. We rage against the one who created us. It's a biblical way of expressing the anguish of being human. We lament. We protest against the Holy Divine, begging maybe for absolution, for justice, vengeance, a reason, some deliverance and comfort, a way forward, or even an end to it all. This first chapter of the book of Lamentations sounds depressing. It's not. I don't think it is. It begins with this song of some bystander seeing this destruction of Jerusalem after the temple was wrecked and looted by invading Babylonians in 586 B.C. That sight of God's presence was gone. Israel's illusion of exceptionalism was no more. Bible scholar, author, pastor Robert Williamson notes that the language here evokes sexual violence done to the holy place, this center of Jewish society. Jerusalem takes on the image of a woman who has been made to be unclean. She's untouchable, unacceptable, unholy. And the assumption is, as it often is for women who endure such violence, that she deserved it. Israel's habit of going after other gods is finally caught up with them, and this is the result. This account is all the more unbearable because of the matter-of-fact way that this narrator reports the news. Like a funeral, singer Williamson writes, the narrative describes the city exposed. It's disturbing. Jerusalem herself groans and looks away If you're driving around town and you come upon a car accident, there are way too many of them here in Las Vegas, Uh, you might know this feeling. When we're driving with the kids, we uh, approach a car accident. Maybe traffic is stopped or we see flashing lights. I get a little nervous. And I don't want to expose them to anything at a young age, something disturbing they might see there. And you never know what you're going to see. But it happens a lot and naturally, we want to know what happened, so we, we look to see what's going on there, hope everybody's okay. We say a prayer that everybody would be okay and get the healing and help that they need. When we see suffering in the world like that, we can easily become detached. Well, it's not, it's not me, it's somebody else over there. Many of us will have some empathy, some concern for tragic events unfolding, trying to understand how it might feel to be in someone's shoes who's experiencing that, who's been directly affected. But unless the tragedy actually happens to us, we sometimes have a hard time identifying. Unless it actually happens to us, we are only concerned bystanders watching from a distance unable to help. Paralyzed by self-interest or fearing the consequence that might come from personal involvement. Shocked into inaction. Maybe we don't know what to do, so we end up doing nothing. I think that's happening now in a lot of ways. There are still kids in cages near our southern border. What can we do about that? What have we done about that? The coronavirus has taken more than twice the number of American lives than the Vietnam War. We can only, um, we can't hardly imagine that number. There are still US troops dying in Afghanistan. Do we remember them? It's not that we don't see it, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we see far too much tragedy, far too much of these terrible things on the news, social media, every place we go and we're exhausted by it, by the amount of suffering in the world. We see it and we've chosen not to do anything about it. So when we are confronted with images of black and brown neighbors being brutally beaten or choked or worse, and groups of Americans engaging in peaceful protests and those just passing by hit with rubber bullets, gagging on tear gas, hit by cars, we assume they must have deserved it. Surely, if they would just follow the directions, if they would just cooperate, this wouldn't be happening, we tell ourselves. If they were not breaking the law, they would not be in this situation. It's their own fault. This theology is present and prominent in scripture, of course. A common understanding in ancient Israel And even before Moses, but explicitly stated in Exodus and Deuteronomy was this belief that obedience meant blessing and disobedience meant suffering God's wrath, being cursed. Williamson notes, it's the same kind of twisted perception that leads to some televangelist blaming victims of tragedy for their own suffering, claiming that God brings hurricanes and earthquakes and even meteors to destroy gay people. This is uh, an awful, awful extension of that kind of theology. But these kind of beliefs can lead to more oppression, not less. More judgment, not mercy. And a deep injury to the neighbor. That image of God is not comforting. It doesn't work for me. That understanding leads only to fear, not love. Which is why lament seems to be so hard to carry for us. Who is this God anyway who's supposed to hear and help us? Who is the one who loves us enough to send a son to be redeemer for all of creation, to be born and suffer with us, to be raised from the dead, but doesn't show up when we are in very real distress? We see why there's a disconnect between the church and faith for many in the world. Hear Lady Jerusalem speak it for herself. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. No longer the detached witness, but the victim herself. We hear the voice of the one suffering. We hear what it means to be blamed for the pain No one comes to help. Those who know the destruction cannot take it away. Like those passers-by, we don't always know how to help when people are hurting. So many of us are struggling to survive ourselves. And some think they have the answers and offer platitudes, calls for peace when there is no peace. Prayers without action. Most of all, we want calm. We want quiet. We want smooth sailing. It just doesn't get us where we need to go. If status quo is all we strive for, then the only peace we will have will come with a higher body count. The cries for justice that come from the streets of Minneapolis and Seattle and Baltimore and Miami and D.C. and Las Vegas and across the nation and across the world will continue. They are lamenting behold my suffering, who will hear, who will come to their aid? I have this bad habit that when one of the kids falls down or gets a scrape or a cut or bumps their head or some kind of injury, the first thing that comes out of my mouth most often is, oh, you're fine, brush it off, rub some dirt on it. Why do I say that? Where did I get that, that my son or daughter just hurt themselves and I need to somehow cancel out the pain they're feeling? Yes, my instinct is to give comfort, to make it better, to calm their spirits. But maybe they're not fine. A lot of people we know are not fine right now. Our planet is not fine right now. Our country is not fine right now. Our laments are justified. Our feelings of anxiety and frustration are real and real people are crying out in protest after centuries of oppression and injury. This book of Lamentations gives no easy answers. This reading ends with a call for retribution in place of reconciliation or redemption. Only in the next chapter does the detached funeral singer becomes something else, a witness and an advocate. The narrator becomes this voice of the one who hears, who believes the victim, who advocates before the Lord and says, look, O Lord, and consider to whom have you done this? We are not impotent witnesses to the suffering around us. Even if we are not directly affected, directly suffering the same as our neighbor, each of us has a role, a duty to fulfill in the world. As the body of Christ in this place, as one's baptized into the resurrection and death of Jesus, we have been freed from working for our own salvation. And we don't earn anything by being a witness, a voice for the voiceless, an advocate for justice in the world. And in fact, the Greek word for witness is martyr, You know that one. More often associated with the one who takes on suffering and even death for the sake of others. We are called to work for the sake of justice for our neighbor, called to help, to serve for our children, for the ones we love and the ones we dislike just the same. Harder to do. We are called to live with bold witness, to live bold lives of faith, And give witness to this freedom that we have been given through the cross. When we are present with those who lament, we are called to be listeners. And we serve by just showing up. We serve by learning from them and with them. We are gifted with the opportunity to be allies for trans siblings, for neighbors in need, for people oppressed. We've been blessed. To lay down self-serving traditions for the sake of those whose ancestry might be different than ours. We are broken to open and offer a welcome that asks not for assimilation but for full participation. And we don't need to transform anyone to make them worthy of our time and attention, our presence, or of God's love. Behold the suffering in the world. So many are hurting, and we can't always fix it. We don't have all the answers. You might be suffering too, but don't look away. Listen, learn, lament with those in pain, and lean into that love of Jesus that has been given to us. It's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit in our baptism. Stay faithful to know that God is near, even when it feels like God is far away and be bold. Hang on to that boldness, that drive to persevere, even when God seems silent. We become witnesses to the pain around us, ones who cry out to God on the behalf of our neighbor, so that the accounts we bring and the songs we sing will not be of judgment and blame, but of love and healing, of transformation and life that all God's children here and everywhere would find a landing place for their tears, the foot of the cross. Amen.